Good morning. Uh, open your Bibles uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read from there before we pray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 13. And uh, while you're doing that, let me just say welcome back. Hope you guys had a great week. Shannon and I and our family had a great and busy week. Uh, Wednesday was our oldest daughter Elizabeth's seventh birthday. And so we got to celebrate that. And then today my parents are here. Uh, it's my mom's birthday as well. Uh, she's 27. So uh, <laughs> life goes on. And uh, so we are uh, uh, joyful as we celebrate life. But then also uh, for many of us this morning, we can't help but uh, grieve as well at the memory of death from 10 years ago as we think about September 11th, 2001. And uh, so we're going to talk this morning as part of our series about this subject of death. Uh, what happens when we die? Uh, what is our hope for those who die and for ourselves uh, when we go to the grave? And so uh, that is where we are going to begin this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 13. Paul writes, uh, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and, will rem and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and we do praise you that in Jesus Christ you've rescued us and we confess this morning along with 2,000 years of saints who have come before us that only in Jesus Christ is there hope, only in Jesus Christ do we have deliverance from the grave. Father, we pray that we would not grieve as those who have no hope, but that we would look forward to the day when Jesus returns, establishes his kingdom and sets all things the way they were meant to be. And in the meanwhile, Father, give us patience and endurance to wait well. As we study your word this morning, we pray you would help us to understand it. God, open up our minds to know what it says. I pray that you would move in our hearts. Father, remove our doubts, remove our distractions, remove our fears this morning. Let us believe your word and then empower us as we leave through your spirit to obey. We thank you, God, for all that you are and all you have done for us in Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. One of the first pets that I had uh, was a little hamster. And uh, my brother and I got him, I don't know, I was probably six or seven. And uh, Dan, my brother, wanted to name him Harry. I wanted to name him Happy. So we settled on Harry the Happy Hamster. And uh, that was his name throughout his life, which... Uh, ended up being shorter than I would have liked. Uh, at the same time that we had Harry, we also one summer took care of a pair of gerbils for uh, a man that worked at my school. And so for a while we had Harry in one aquarium and we had the gerbils in the other aquarium. And uh, one day, as kids do, we decided that we would just see 
if Harry and the gerbils might like to play together. So uh, we took Harry out of his aquarium. We put him in with the gerbils and uh, they, they hated each other. It turns out that uh, hamsters and gerbils do not like to play together. They like to eat each other. And so uh, we put them in there together. They immediately began to fight. Well, as quickly as we could, we pulled them apart. We took Harry out. We put him back in his own cage, right? Ding the little bell and the round was over. Uh, But uh, Harry had experienced, I guess, some internal injuries. I'm just guessing. We didn't do like an MRI or anything like that on him. I'm just guessing. And uh, over the next couple of days, he wasn't doing too well. And uh, one day... I had a friend come over to my house and he was visiting and I was excited to let him see Harry and we walked into my room and uh, I said, here's my hamster and looked down and uh, Harry was very still and quiet and uh, he was not moving and he was uh, stiff and cold and I was sad and confused and so I kind of, you know, I picked him up and I realized Harry is not normal. Uh, I began to cry uh, at which point my friend began to feel awkward, right, because I've invited him. into my room, and this kid's probably thinking, this guy keeps a dead hamster in his room, you know? <laughs> so he begins to feel awkward. Uh, we walk outside where my mom was still talking to his mom, and I'm just, I'm in tears, and this kid goes, and he just kind of backs into his mom's car and sits down like, I'm ready to go, you know? And so they got in the car, they're like, see you later, you know, took off, and, and that was one of my early experiences with death. I realized uh, creatures don't live forever. Now, I I look back on that and and I can laugh at it a little bit because it's a hamster. But uh, as I look back and as you look back, perhaps through your life, at your experiences with death, my guess is that uh, when you think about uh, people you know, friends or family members or coworkers who have died, you don't look back and laugh in the same way. Even with uh, the passage of time, there's nothing that is funny about the death of a human being because the death of a human being raises all kinds of difficult questions for us. Uh, Especially if you're a Christian and you read the Bible and you see that uh, God has made the world and he made human beings to be eternal. He made us to live forever and God uh, breathed into mankind the breath of life. And so When I see you this morning and you see me and our bodies are animated and our minds work and there's clarity in your eyes, that's the way you are made to be. And so when a person dies, it raises some very difficult questions because uh, we see the person's body in the grave, but whatever animating force was inside of them isn't there anymore. And uh, it makes us sad and it's unnatural. I think one of the reasons that events, tragedies like September 11th confuse and sadness as much as they do, and one of the reasons that they resonate with us on such a large scale is because, first of all, it's hard to imagine uh, 3,000 people made by God who go to their grave on the same day for the same reasons. And it's, it's not normal. It's not natural. And I think it also makes us uncomfortable because we recognize that's where each of us is headed most likely. Unless Jesus returns first, eventually our bodies will decay, they will get sick, and we will die. And so we feel uncomfortable often with this concept of death. And the reality is that uh, as you look at the scripture, and I'm going to say something you may not have uh, thought about or processed before, but as you look at the scripture, actually the feeling of discomfort and awkwardness that you and I feel around death, that's the way we ought to feel around death. 
I've been to a number of funerals in my life, funerals of friends and uh, family and coworkers. I've been to funerals in uh, my capacity as a pastor and uh, funerals of babies and teenagers and young adults and middle-aged people and old people who have died for all kinds of different reasons. Some due to uh, accidents or even suicide, some due to diseases, uh, some perhaps just because they were old and their bodies finally gave out. And here's the thing I've observed is that never have I been to a funeral that felt normal. Even when a person is a hundred years old, something still feels odd as you see that lifeless body. What's interesting is, as you look at the Bible, that discomfort with death is one of the key themes of the scripture. And one of the key themes of the Bible is how will God act and intervene to destroy death? Because it's not the way things are supposed to be. There's not a lot of detail in the Bible about what happens to us when we die, but there's enough that we can piece together uh, a sort of picture. If you were here last week, we looked at what is going to happen to the world and what is our ultimate hope. And our ultimate hope, we said, is when Jesus returns, he will establish his kingdom on earth and he will make everything in this world the way that it was supposed to be. No more sadness, no more tears, no more crying, no more sickness, no more death. Everything will be what it's supposed to be. But the question for us this morning is, between now and that time, What happens to you and me when we die? Where do we go? What do we do? And maybe you've sat at a funeral and wondered those questions. Where is my friend, my grandmother, my coworker? Where are they right now? What are they doing? And if you're a Christian, like we just read, the scripture says that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Well, if we're going to have hope, we need to understand what the Bible says. We need to be informed. What does the Bible say about when we die? All right, that's what we're going to look at from a number of passages this morning. All right, and the first thing we're going to see is this, that when we die, our spirit separates from our body. Our spirit separates from our body. Now, this goes back to the Garden of Eden. If you remember, in the uh, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, originally, they had perfect fellowship with God They had perfect fellowship with one another. Their bodies didn't get sick. Their bodies weren't going to die. But then uh, they listen to the serpent. They disobey God. And God curses them. And a part of that curse uh, is this from Genesis chapter 3. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say, Death is just a part of life. From a biblical perspective, actually, nothing could be further from the truth. Death is an interruption, a tragedy. It's not a part of life. Now, granted, all of us, if Jesus doesn't come back, all of us will die. But death is not the way things were meant to be. Death is actually a part of the curse. And what happens when you and I die is that our bodies go into the ground and return to dust, but our spirit leaves our body. And that's not a normal thing. It's not normal for parts of you to go separating off. This past week at my daughter's school, they made a a project where they were talking about their bodies. And uh, they made kind of paper bags that had different organs of the body kind of on it in all the right places. And and it was like a vest and they would put it on and you could see all the different organs, you know. And uh, one little girl, uh, I promise not to reveal her identity, one little girl came out of the class uh, this week 
and she had her vest and she said to me, this is my body. My brain is in my backpack. All right. Now, (laughs) what had happened was they had also made a paper brain that you could set on your head and it was in her backpack. Right now, if somebody said that to you in real life, uh, you'd think your brain brain is in your head, right? You cannot function without your brain. We don't just set aside different parts of us and leave them behind. Now, when we read the scripture, what we find is that you and I are made to have the breath of life within us, the spirit that animates us. That's Genesis 2, 7. God breathed the breath of life into us when we die and it separates from us. That's not normal. It's not supposed to happen that way. And yet it does because of the curse. Paul actually compares it to being naked in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. All right, what's he saying? He's saying that uh, death is this unnatural nakedness, separation of the spirit from the body. And what we long for is not to be unclothed, to be floating around disembodied. But what we long for is the heavenly body that we talked about a little bit last week. We'll get into that more in coming weeks about the resurrection. But what we long for is the time when Jesus will come and restore our bodies to the way that they were meant to be. We are fundamentally men and women who are body and spirit. Death is an unnatural separation. Like Paul says, it's nakedness. My guess is that when you were a child, a baby, before you turned one, maybe all the way up to two, your parents may have taken some pictures of you in the bathtub without your clothes on, right? And they will show those at your wedding. Uh, They may show those at different times, you know, as you lead up to college graduation, uh, different parties, they, they love to show those to embarrass you, right? And, and you'll, you'll see those and uh, it was cute when you were two, you see it when you're 22 and you want to die, right? You feel like you want to go away and, and be alone, right? And just let everybody leave you alone. Well, the deal is when you are one or two, that's cute. Now there comes a point where it moves from cute to creepy, right? Where it moves uh, from cute to not okay, right? Uh, when I was about uh, I don't know, eight or nine, there was this kid in our neighborhood who was probably four or five, and uh, his parents would still let him just kind of run around the neighborhood without any clothes on. Right? Now, I don't know where the, where the age is where that's not okay, but it is before you're five. I can tell you that, right? Because it was weird. It was creepy. There comes a point where that's not okay. We don't have a lot of like dress codes for you guys usually here, but we do require dress, right? We require that you wear something. Nakedness at some point is not normal. That's how Paul describes the separation of body and spirit. It's not normal. It's not the way things are meant to be. And yet your spirit departs from your body at death. Now, what happens to it? All right, as we go further into the scripture, we see a little bit about what, what happens to your spirit, to my spirit when we die. And what we see is that our spirit goes to one of two places. It either goes to heaven or it goes to what the scripture calls Hades. Uh, Some would call it hell, but I'm using this word Hades because that's the word Jesus used. If you have your Bible, open to Luke chapter 16. We're going to read from Luke 16 this morning. I'm going to start in verse 19. Okay, Luke 16, starting in verse 19, Jesus tells a parable 
And he says, now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life, you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus received bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, that you send him to my father's house for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. It's an interesting parable. Now, I don't know if Lazarus and this rich man are real people or if they're just illustrations, if it's just a story Jesus is telling for effect. Uh, There are probably and possibly elements in the story that are that are illustrations or metaphors for other things, but there are a few things that we do see in this story that Jesus seems to be teaching us about the afterlife, where we go after we die. All right, and one of those things seems to be that you really go to one of two destinations. You either go to be comforted in what Jesus here calls Abraham's bosom. I think that's a way of saying he's in the presence of God. He's comforted by uh, the saints who went before and he's in, in perfect peace and comfort with God, or you go to what Jesus calls Hades, a place of agony. Now, what's interesting is there is no third option. You don't see any room in the teachings of Jesus really or in the Bible for this third option of what's often called purgatory, kind of a place where you go and you wait to determine whether you go uh, to heaven or hell. It seems like here's what's going on is that the decisions that you make now in some way to respond to God affect you for eternity. Whether you go to one place or another is somehow determined based upon how you respond to God in this life. And there doesn't seem to be a second chance, right? Uh, This guy, uh, this rich man is saying, just let Lazarus come over and just give me a little bit of water, just cool me off. And Abraham says, you can't do that. You can't go back and forth. It seems to be an irreversible destiny. And so Jesus seems to be teaching that our spirit departs and it goes to one of these two places. And often we have a hard time with this concept of that our decisions now, the the way we respond to God now, we have a hard time with that concept of uh, could that really be a permanent thing? And we're going to talk also in a few weeks about is that fair? But the reality is that there are a lot of choices that we make in our life that are irreversible. There are mistakes that you make. There are decisions you can make that are irreversible. Some of you may have seen a movie that came out 10 or 12 years ago called Family Man, starring Nicolas Cage. And it was kind of a, it's a wonderful life type of thing. But basically it's Nicolas Cage plays Jack and he's, he's a successful investment banker and he's lived his life and he thinks he's happy, uh, but he is forced to go back by some sort of mystical experience and relive 
uh, the, uh, what would have happened in his life had he made a different decision at a critical juncture in his life. Had he decided to marry his girlfriend instead of move off to London and be an investment banker, he would have had this family and this marriage and this wonderful life, and he gets to see what that would look like. But bottom line is, at the end of the movie, he has to go back to the life he had because his decision really is irreversible. The truth is that you guys are in a stage of your life where you're making critical irreversible decisions to some degree, right? You are deciding how you're going to approach your classes, which may have an impact on your career. Now, it doesn't mean you can't get further education, change your career, but if you get D's all the way through, you can't go back necessarily and fix that later. If you enter unwisely into a a marriage with a person who uh, is not walking with God, God can certainly redeem any situation But you can't go back and undo the decision. And as we look at the scripture, what we see is that uh, what ultimately determines our destiny after death is how we respond to Jesus Christ. How we respond to Jesus Christ. Specifically, do you believe that Jesus is the one who provides eternal life by his death and resurrection? And it couldn't be clearer in the Bible that that is the only way, the only way to have eternal life. John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 1 John chapter 5. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. All right, it's it's as cut and dried as it could be. Those who believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to provide eternal life, those are the men and women who have eternal life, who will go to heaven. Others will not. Others will find themselves in Hades. Now, that's a hard truth. And again, I, I, even as I say it, I, I'm uncomfortable with it. It makes me sad. And I, immediately the question pops up in my mind, is it fair? Is it, is it right? How could God allow that to happen? We will talk about that. We'll spend a whole message on that later in the semester. But the bottom line is that we are called from the Scripture to worship and follow the God who is, and not the God who fits our particular notions of how he should be. And so what this calls us to then is to share the gospel with those who have never heard. Because it is a reality, like we said a few weeks ago, that every person you meet is, is headed for one of two places. And at death, your spirit departs from your body and the opportunity to change your mind is done. And Hebrews 9, 27 says, we die once. After that comes judgment. That's a sobering truth. Again, one that ought to challenge us, motivate us, and yes, sadden us, but move us to share Jesus with those who haven't heard. I read a story this past week. There's a good book on heaven by a man named Randy Alcorn. It's just, the book's just called Heaven. And uh, he tells a story in there of a singer. Uh, her name was Ruthanna Metzger, and she was a professional singer. And she'd been invited to sing at the wedding of a wealthy couple in New York. And she was excited about it because it was going to be at just a, a lavish hotel. And the reception was going to be the most wonderful place she had ever been, best meals she'd ever eaten. And, uh, you know, just unbelievable food, unbelievable surroundings. And she sang at the wedding. And then she and her husband drove over to the reception. And they got to the reception and... Uh, 
walked up to the maitre d' and said, uh, I'm Ruthanna Metzger. This is my husband. We're here for the reception. And he opened up uh, the little RSVP book and he said, what's your name? She said, Ruthanna Metzger. And he said, hold on, I'll see you in here. She said, well, no, 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 I sang. I sang at the wedding. Uh, I was there. I was singing. You need to let me in. He says, I'm sorry, your name's not, not here. And so it doesn't really matter what you did at the wedding. If your name's not in here, I can't let you in. And so they left and got in the car. And it was then she realized she'd forgotten to RSVP for the reception. And the rules were hard and fast. And as a Christian woman, and she, she began to weep at that point, first of all, sad that she missed the meal, but also began to weep realizing uh, this is the destiny of those who don't know Jesus. The book of Revelation chapter 20 says, those whose names aren't written in the Lamb's book of life will not get in. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus says you're destined for one of these two places. Now, for those who go into the presence of God at death, what, what happens? What do they do? What are they doing now? We talked about the new earth and the new heavens last week a little bit. And, uh, you know, we concluded there's meaningful work there. We have uh, renewed bodies. There's even probably animals there. there. There's all kinds. It's just like earth, only a whole lot better. Well, what do we do in between? We don't have a whole lot of information about that, except to say that one thing that we are doing in between is we're waiting for Jesus to come back. If you look at Revelation chapter 6, 9 through 11, you see these martyrs sitting around the throne of God and they're asking God, how long is it going to be until you set everything right? How long is it going to be? And he says, "Uh, just wait, just a little bit longer. And so they're waiting eagerly. And what we're waiting for is that time, like we talked about, when Jesus will reestablish his kingdom, uh, give us our new bodies he will fix everything. He'll get rid of sin. He'll get rid of injustice. He'll get rid of death and pain. And we'll live with him forever in the restored earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And so our bodies lie in the ground temporarily. Our spirits with Jesus until that trumpet blows and you and I will literally get up, rise from the dead and spend forever with him. Heaven comes down to earth. Remember at the end of chapter, uh, at the end of Revelation 21 and 22, We reign forever with Jesus. And that's our hope. So when Paul says we don't grieve as those who have no hope, he's specifically talking about the fact that we await a perfect restoration of all things. Now, the reality is, we've talked about, there's there's a sad and painful side of this as well, and that is those who do not know Jesus Christ don't have the opportunity to participate in that kingdom. What does that do for us? First of all, I would encourage you to um, know how to share the gospel. Be prepared to share the fact that the only way to life is through Jesus Christ. And then reach out on campus, in your dorms, with your friends, in your classes, and share that message. 
It challenges us also to trust in the goodness and the justice of God, which we'll talk about again in a future week. Is this fair? What about people who have never heard? What about people who can't seem to believe? Maybe they are um, not able to for one reason or other mentally. What about people like that? We'll talk about that. But this truth challenges us to trust in God's justice and worship the God who does exist and become equipped to share the gospel. There may be somebody in here this morning, you, you don't know Jesus. You don't know that you're headed for eternal life. And if that is you, the clear testimony of the scripture is the only way to get there is to trust in Jesus alone, God's only son, for eternal life. If you feel ill-equipped to share the gospel, join an essentials group here or a doulos group if you're a freshman. We'll walk you through that. But this pas- these passages call us to take seriously the reality of heaven and of hell and to minister the gospel to those who need it, which is the whole earth. And then to look forward in hope as we, as we grieve for the families of those who died on September 11th. We look forward in hope to a day when there won't be any more terrorism. There won't be any more death. There won't be any more evil. And we extend that hope to the world around us. As we talk with our own families, I've talked even with some of you this morning that just this weekend you've had family members pass away. You've been at a funeral or you've been in a situation where somebody's about to die. And we offer the hope that one day this won't happen anymore. One day Jesus will set everything right. And for those who believe in him, we do not have to grieve as if there isn't hope, but we grieve knowing that we have a Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, sometimes uh, it is difficult and and feels heavy to talk talk about death, to talk about heaven and hell, and yet we know you've presented these things to us for a reason, God that uh, we would know you and that we would call others to know you. Father, equip us and prepare us to share the truth. I pray we would joyfully look forward to the hope of a renewed earth, of a place where there will be no more suffering. And I pray we would, as broadly and widely as possible, share that truth with those around us. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We'll see you next week.